0: Let's pray. Loving Father, as we turn to your Word, we pray that you might feed us with the Word of life through Christ our Lord. Amen. Imagine if I was to uh, stand up here this morning and say the following... How would you react? I want to share with you something very important. It's literally a matter of life and death. And your whole future could depend on this. How would you react? Would you switch off? Would you say to me, Nothing could be that important. Or would you say, that's the kind of hype that we get all the time. What are you trying to sell? What's the catch? Well, if you're like me and can be quite skeptical at times, let me try and prove you wrong. I really do want to share with you something that is very important. That really is a matter of life and death. And yes, your whole future could really depend upon it. I want to talk about life after death. It's not a topic that we hear much about. As a subject for discussion, life and the ad- or death and the afterlife is something of a taboo. Most people don't want to think about it. And yet, as the saying goes, the only certainty in life is death. Well, I want to approach this. In perhaps a somewhat unusual way. Right at the end of John's Gospel, he records an interesting conversation between the risen Jesus and Peter. The subject of their discussion is probably the Apostle John, the author of the Gospel. And this is what John writes. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following them. The one who had been reclining at the table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the, the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now let me ask you, why might John have ended his gospel by recording this? Is it not a somewhat strange way to end a unique account of the life of Jesus? Is it not something of an anticlimax? Well, note what he highlights. He mentions a rumor that circulated in the early church. What was the rumor? Well, some people were saying that John would never die. Now, imagine you're sitting in church one morning and your neighbor gives you a wee nudge and says, that's John over there. Jesus said he's not going to die. Well, John knew that this was not so. Maybe as he wrote about Jesus' life, he was getting on in years and near to death. Perhaps he feared that his death would be used to discredit Jesus, especially if people believed that Jesus had said John would not die. So what does John do? Well, he says the rumor is false. It's not true. That's not what Jesus said. Now, in one way there's nothing strange about John setting the record straight. John wanted to be a truthful witness about what Jesus said and did. But there's an interesting twist to this. There is an unusual paradox here. Throughout his account of the life of Jesus, John wants more than anything else to convince his readers that Jesus is the source of eternal life. Look at what he says. Let's begin with the best known verse in John's Gospel. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious Jewish man. In the next chapter of John's gospel, John records what Jesus said to a somewhat irreligious Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her, "'Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give Will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In the next chapter, chapter 5, John records Jesus as saying this. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. In chapter 6, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now note how eternal life is mentioned in all of these passages. And there are more. As far as John is concerned, Jesus and eternal life go together. Indeed, when it comes to summarizing why he wrote his gospel, John says Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. If his gospel is anything to go by, John probably talked a lot about Jesus And eternal life. You can easily see why people might have believed the rumor that John would never die. Every time you heard him, Jesus and eternal life. Now, I hope you find this interesting. Because on the one hand, at the end of his gospel, John wants to put down the rumor that Jesus had said he would not die. On the other hand, John wants to write, he writes in order to encourage us to believe in Jesus in order that we may have eternal life. Isn't that a strange paradox? And in the light of this, it's worth observing what John puts right at the heart of his gospel. Yes, you've guessed it. At the center of John's gospel is the account of Jesus raising Lazarus back to life again. John goes into it in great detail. Given John's interest in eternal life, this is surely no coincidence. It's hard to think of any other incident in all of the gospels apart from the resurrection of Jesus that picks up on the theme of life and death in the way that this story does. For John, the Lazarus story is exceptionally important. It encapsulates the heart of the Jesus story. It's a story about death and resurrection life. And the longer you study the Lazarus story, the more and more you discover that it abounds in ideas and motifs that are central to John's gospel, his message. Note, for example, what Jesus says to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Eternal life. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Why did John write his gospel? He wants you and me, like Martha, to say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what comes through believing? Resurrection life, eternal life. Martha provides a perfect example of what Jesus wa- of what G- John wants everyone to do. Jesus wants everyone to do it too. He wants people to believe. John wants people to believe in Jesus as the Christ and so receive eternal life. The story of Lazarus epitomizes what John wants to say about Jesus. As stories go, the incident is quite amazing, it's full of drama. Look at Mary. How well John captures the depth of her grief at the loss of her brother. Observe her reluctance to go to Jesus when he returns. Did she feel betrayed? Had he not failed to come when she needed him most? Who needs a friend like this? Then after the resurrection of her her brother, when Lazarus hosts a celebration meal for Jesus, what does Mary do? She brings a jar of expensive perfume worth thousands of pounds, a year's wages, and she pours the perfume on Jesus' feet. And she uses her hair To wipe them. How embarrassing that must have been for the other guests. I imagine they hardly knew where to look. But with Mary, this was a way of expressing her love for Jesus. Not a kiss on the mouth or a peck on the cheek. That would have been entirely inappropriate. Rather, a lavish gift affectionately given as an act of worship to her Lord. But as we shall see, there was more. This was more than just simply saying thank you to Jesus. Her actions anticipate his death and burial. The Lazarus story is rich in emotion and drama. And there's something else that we should note about the story. It ties together John's whole gospel, his whole account of the life of Jesus. It's the climax to the signs that come in chapters 2 to 11. And it's the introduction to the passion narrative that comes in chapters 12 to 21. In all, John describes seven signs that point to the power of Jesus to do remarkable things. He makes a blind man see, a lame man walk, a dead man live. What begins with Jesus changing water into wine ends with Lazarus being brought back to life. By describing a series of miracles or signs, John wants us to believe that Jesus is someone extraordinary. These signs come to a climax with the raising of Lazarus. What greater sign could someone give? But not only is the raising of Lazarus the final sign... It also links these signs to John's description of the passion of Jesus. This is important for, paradoxically, resurrection life comes through the death of Jesus. You can't have one without the other. John draws out this link between the raising of Lazarus and the death of Jesus on the cross in a number of ways. Firstly, observe how John presents the raising of Lazarus as the event that prompts the Jewish leaders to plot the death of Jesus. John writes, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we, let him on, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. The raising of Lazarus was the last straw. It convinced the Jewish authorities that Jesus needed to die. If Jesus was not stopped, the consequences would be disastrous. It was better for one man to be put to death than for the whole nation to be destroyed. Lazarus' resurrection becomes the reason for Jesus' death. And ironically, as John notes, even Lazarus' own life was placed in danger. Note what he says. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You have to feel kind of sorry for Lazarus. He's just been raised to life, and now the Jewish leaders want to put him to death. But as John makes clear, the raising of Lazarus is the catalyst for Jesus being executed on the cross. But the raising of Lazarus also anticipates the death of Jesus in other ways. Note, for example, how Jesus is anointed. For his burial, after Mary pours the precious ointment on his feet, Judas voices an objection. Would it not have been better for the perfume to be sold and the money given to the poor? Observe how Jesus replies. So Jesus said, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. There's no doubt that Jesus comments, anticipate his forthcoming crucifixion. Mary has anointed him for his burial. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, anticipates that very soon he will be dead. Note also how John picks up on the idea that the Jewish authorities are keen to kill Jesus. Jesus had left Judea because they wanted to stone him. Later, they call a meeting of the Sanhedrin to plot his demise. Significantly, in this context, John introduces the idea of Jesus dying in the place of others. But one of them, Caiaphas who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Do you not understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish? He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, not for the nation only, But also to gather into one the children of God Who are scattered abroad While Caiaphas may not have understood The full significance of what he said John certainly did More than anything else John appreciated that it was only through the death of Jesus As the Passover sacrifice That life, resurrection life everlasting life would come to others. To see this, we need to appreciate how John links Jesus with the Old Testament Passover story. Back in the book of Exodus, when God delivered the Israelites from slavery, a series of signs were performed. These went from water being turned into blood through to the death of the Egyptian firstborn. Interestingly, the Israelite firstborn males would also have been put to death, but for the blood of the Passover lambs. In reality, the death of the lambs gave life to the Israelite firstborn. Well, John sees Jesus as fulfilling a similar role to that of the Passover lambs. For this reason, he records how John the Baptist on two separate occasions describes Jesus as the Lamb of God. And you may recall that in the book of Revelation, John frequently refers to Jesus as the Lamb. For John, Jesus is the Passover Lamb. By his sacrificial death, others will be delivered from death. As in Egypt. So, what does John say to you and to me through his gospel? Well, put very simply, he wants to affirm firstly that Jesus is the source of resurrection life, the one who gives everlasting life. As Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. On the basis of all that he has witnessed, John is convinced, strongly convinced, that Jesus is the source of eternal life. And he wants us to believe the same. And then secondly, John wants to say that resurrection life comes to us because Jesus has died in our place. Through his death, Jesus pays the penalty for our wrongdoing. As the Apostle Paul put it, for the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Without Jesus' death on the cross, we are slaves to sin and separate it from God. By dying in our place, Jesus enables us to have eternal life. I began by saying that I wanted to share with you something very important. Something that's a matter of life and death. Something that our whole futures depend upon. That something is really a someone. And that someone is Jesus. Jesus doesn't promise that you will not die. John understood that well, in spite of the rumors. But Jesus does promise that those who trust in him will experience resurrection life. That's my hope. I very much hope that it's yours also. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And we want to thank you this morning for the hope that you bring to us When we stand beside the grave of a loved one, when we think of what lies before us, we thank you that you are the one who gives us eternal life. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.